Toby's been studying John on Sunday nights, Journey with John, and asked me if I would continue that path while he's vacationing for a while, so told him I would. He left me John chapter 16 to start. I think he expected us to get out of that and on to something else, but not going to do that. We got stuck in John 16. Uh, because the first big heading in John chapter 16 says the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's not a 30-minute topic, so we're going to work on that just a little bit more tonight. And we will not settle anything because it's too big and deep a topic. Uh, but we'll give you some things to think about and maybe understand the Holy Spirit a little differently than we we have before. All right, what we did last week to prepare for tonight's summary was uh, we read not just what's in John 16, where it says there the work of the Holy Spirit begins in verse, uh, middle of verse 4 there and goes on for a ways. We also read back in the rest of John the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to take time to do that again, but... Uh, you remember perhaps some of it back in John's, or, yeah, chapter 7. He made a pretty big deal about the Spirit gives life somehow. He talked about anybody that came to him would have rivers of living water. And then John says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit gives life in some way. Uh, he told the apostles that the Spirit was going to indwell them, said he's been with you, but he will be in you. Uh, chapter 14, he talked about when the Spirit comes or the other helper or the, the comforter or whatever word your translation says. When the Spirit comes, he will teach you. He will teach the truth. He said in John chapter 15 uh, that the Spirit will witness about me. And you also will witness about me. And then in John 16 here, where we've read that passage, he talks about when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin and judgment and righteousness. So we looked at all those things, and we saw that Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to do some pretty big things. And some of them about leading into all truth and bringing to your remembrance everything I've said it may have been directed to, directly to the apostles, I think it was. But the other things, he was saying to crowds. He was talking about what's going to happen. Uh, he was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost on. So Jesus says all that, but we don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. Uh, in fact, while I was sitting there, I picked up the songbook and looked to see how many songs we had about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a few in there, not too many. And a lot of them we don't ever sing. A few of them got some pretty good words in them, but we we don't know them as far as I know. Uh, so, And we don't, it's not just that we don't sing about the Holy Spirit, we don't talk about Him much. So we went back and did a little history. That's the other thing we did last week was 
went back and looked at the beginning of the Restoration Movement, a little Church of Christ history, if you will, and we pointed out that there were two kind of main characters back in the early days, in the early 1800s. One was Barton Stone, and he was very, let me use this term and I hope you understand it, he was very pro-spirit. Uh, he talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. He attributed things to the Holy Spirit. He attributed conversions. He attributed things that happened in his ministry. He attributed healings. He attributed all sorts of things to the Holy Spirit. It's just the way he and his followers talked about it. And then Alexander Campbell came along, and Campbell was very pro-logic, if you will. Very pro-reason, very pro uh, human mind being able to figure things out. Very scientific kind of fellow. And he thought Stone and his followers were a little over the top emotional and a little excessive in some of their talk about the spirit. So those kind of two camps, if you will, actually they got together and worked together. But Campbell became a little pre, more preeminent. And his attitude, I think, became a little more preeminent, where that talk of the Spirit, that attributing things to him, and uh, that kind of thing just kind of died out. And that was like 150 years ago. But we've gotten to the point these days where, in reaction to other errors, uh, there's some folks that don't let the Holy Spirit do anything. They teach that, no, he doesn't do anything. The only thing the Holy Spirit does for us today is he wrote this book. And so if you read this book, uh, the Spirit will be working, but that's it. He's off duty the rest of the time. Um, And don't talk about him as doing anything except through the Word. Now, I'm not saying we do that. I don't think I've ever preached that kind of thing. Uh, But there are places that do that and make a pretty big deal out of it. I saw an ad in a Brotherhood newspaper one time for a small church up in the northwest. Uh, They were looking for a new preacher. And as their condition, they wanted that new preacher to submit two sermon tapes. uh, And one of them was about the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to be sure he had that doctrinally right. Uh, pretty important to them, evidently. So that does exist in the world these days. Uh, so that's kind of where we got last week. Now, this week, like I said, we're not going to settle anything, but we're going to talk about a few things and hopefully help us begin to think a little bit. So i I got three basic premises I want to share with you tonight. Premise one is that there are a lot of doctrinal errors about the Holy Spirit. There is a lot of false teaching around the Holy Spirit. Uh, One area of error is what I was just talking about, is Calvinism uh, that teaches that Humans are so sinful, humans are so corrupted, so morally bankrupt, that we cannot respond to the Word of God. 
We can't get it. We can't understand it. We can't respond to it. There's nothing we can do. And for us to be able to understand it or respond, the Holy Spirit has to directly operate on our hearts. He has to open our hearts so that we can understand the gospel. Okay. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches very well. Uh, so that's an error that we respond to maybe by not talking about the Spirit too much. Okay. Uh, another error, error is the, let's call it Pentecostalism, charismatic uh, movement uh, that's really just a little over 100 years old. Uh, in, as far as history goes, uh, but it has spread to some degree, and there are quite a few people around that teach the Holy Spirit does everything that he did in the first century. He still gives people the ability to do miracles. He gives them the ability to speak other languages. He gives them the ability to heal. Uh, you can get on cable TV and spend all sorts of time watching folks do that. Uh, uh, they usually incorporate in there a, a perverted doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Uh, a week or so ago, I went to a funeral of an acquaintance, and it happened to be in a church that came from the Pentecostal movement, and I saw their rack out front with all their teachings in it, and I grabbed a few of them. Uh, one is our 16 doctrines, the 16 things they believe. Uh, one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the other one is the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now that's big there. That's a big thing at that church. Uh, I picked them up and glanced through them. I'd studied lots of things like that before, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time, but I glanced through it. It's full of biblical errors. Uh, we could sit down and work on that for a few weeks if anybody wanted to, uh, to to spot all of those. But because of that movement, that uh, system of error, uh, we kind of shied a little bit further away from talking about the Holy Spirit, I think. And that part happened in my lifetime and some of your lifetime uh, the charismatic movement or the neo-Pentecostal movement kind of started back in the uh, 60s, 70s and got into almost all mainstream churches and eventually the Church of Christ also. So because of those things, we've kind of strayed even further away from talking much about the Holy Spirit. don't want anybody to get the wrong idea about what we're thinking about. Uh, but, here's my premise, even though there's some error there, from what we just read last week that Jesus said, and a whole lot more in the New Testament, there is way too much clear, direct teaching attributing things to the Holy Spirit for us to discount it. There's uh, just too much in there. Uh, you can look at those things that Jesus said, just the ones we looked at last week, 
He told the whole crowd that if you believe in me, you're going to have rivers of living water. And that's the Spirit flowing out of you. Peter told them on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will be given to you. He'll come dwell in you. And all through Paul's writings and all the other writings in the New Testament, it talks about the Spirit empowering people and strengthening people and, and on and on. And this is not a time to study the Spirit. I'm just saying there is way too much clear, direct teaching to completely ignore it and say, well, we just don't talk about it. We may not understand some of it. I mean, the Bible tells us to walk by the Spirit. What's that mean? Well, it could mean just read your Bible and do what it says, or it could mean something a little more. The Bible says Lydia became a Christian after God opened her heart. What's that mean? Yeah, you know, there's just too many things like that in the Bible to say, well, we don't mess with the Holy Spirit much. So that's my first premise, if you will. Yes, there's doctrinal errors. Yes, there's things that are wrong that people have taught falsely about the Holy Spirit. But the Bible talks too much about the Holy Spirit for us to ignore the topic or the personality of the Spirit. All right. Second point is that the Holy Spirit has always done the same things. Okay? I didn't used to know this. It took me a while to figure this out. Uh, actually, I started studying the Holy Spirit, and some of you that have been in the class that I teach about it know this story, but I started studying the Holy Spirit back during that neo-Pentecostal charismatic movement. But I wanted to know what was going on. And... It took me a while. It took me a long while. Uh, finally, at one point, I took a Bible. I didn't bring my Holy Spirit Bible tonight, but I guess I did bring a Holy Spirit Bible. But I didn't bring my Holy Spirit Bible uh, because I took a Bible, New American Standard, and I went through it, and I highlighted, blue highlights, every place the Spirit's mentioned in any way. And going through the whole Bible like that. I didn't read the whole Bible to do it. I used a concordance and other things, but I got them all highlighted. And and when you do that and go back and figure out what the Bible is saying about the Spirit, the Spirit's always done the same thing. He doesn't do anything in the first verse of the Bible, but from the second verse on... He's doing things. Okay? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 says, The Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. He was ready to help in creation. Okay? And from then on, the Spirit gives life. That's what Jesus said. From then on, the Spirit empowered people to do things. And, yeah, we can go down a sidetrack and say, well, that was miraculous, and today it doesn't do it. Don't go there. He empowered people. Always has, still does. Okay? 
He taught people. He revealed things to the prophet. He revealed things to the apostles. He reveals things to us. He teaches. He leads. He guides all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, there's a difference. Just like Jesus said, Jesus told the apostles, now he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out, is the way the Bible describes it, the way Peter described it. And the twelve apostles there were baptized. They were overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And he gave them gifts, some miraculous, some not miraculous, some permanent, some temporary. He gave them gifts, and he gave other people gifts. When the people in Corinth were arguing about gifts, one thing Paul told them was the Holy Spirit hands out gifts as he wills. Yeah, he decides who gets what and what empowerment he gives to people. Okay. Now, we're told in the New Testament to be filled with the Spirit. The Old Testament talked about that a lot. It would use the term that the Spirit came on somebody or fell on somebody, or they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're told to be filled with the Spirit. doesn't mean we're supposed to get more of the Spirit. We've already got all the Spirit we're going to get, but we are to be filled with His influence. That's what He means. I mean, it's clear because His illustration there is being filled with wine. He says, don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with the influence of wine. Can you tell some, somebody's full of wine? Yeah. How? <laughs> you see how they act. Okay? The influence of the wine changes the way they act. Okay? So Paul said, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the influence of the Spirit. Let him change the way you act. Okay? Uh, all through the Bible, the Spirit did those things. So, uh, without going down that road of what's miraculous and what's not and whatever, let's just leave it there. The Spirit empowers, He teaches, He leads, He guides, He reveals. It's always been His job. And those are the things that Jesus said the Spirit was going to do in New Testament days. Okay, so with those two premises that, yes, there's errors, but, man, there's too much teaching to ignore the Spirit. And number two, the Spirit's been consistent from Old Testament to New Testament in the kinds of things He does. So third premise, and this is more a list of suggestions of how we think about this. Okay, first one is we worry a lot about, all right, what's the Father do, and what's the Son do, and what's the Spirit do? We get kind of worried about that. Okay? The Bible doesn't worry near that much about it. In fact, the Bible uses the terms, especially about the Spirit, almost interchangeably. Sometimes you can't tell who the Bible's talking about. Which one of these three personalities of the Trinity are doing what? 
In the Old Testament, generally the Spirit is called the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, he's usually just called the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. But he's also called the Spirit of your Father. He's called a helper. He's called the Spirit of Jesus. He's called the Spirit of Christ. He's called the Holy One. He's called His Spirit. And you'll be reading along, and one time it'll say Jesus did something, and then it'll say then it was the Spirit did did it. Yeah, and the Bible doesn't draw quite the lines that we do. It doesn't get so succinct that okay, I want to know exactly who does what here. And since we can't explain the Trinity anyway, that ought to comfort us a little bit. We we don't have to split all that out. Deity does it. Okay, so uh, the terms are kind of interchangeable. Secondly, think about this the next time somebody tries to get you excited about what the Holy Spirit does or can't do or won't do or whatever. A lot of it's just semantics. Okay? A lot of it's the word we use. Okay? Uh, let me give you some illustration. Almost everything you can think about that makes people nervous about talking about the Spirit because of our history and because of our reaction to error and all of that, almost all of them, if you just change the word from Spirit to God or Lord, nobody gets excited. Okay? Doesn't bother anybody. Okay? And since we can't quite tell them apart anyway, maybe we ought to chill out a little bit here. Uh, let me give you some examples. I could say that the Spirit showed me the truth. And some folks would say, whoa, you mean the Spirit revealed something to you that you didn't find in the Bible? But if I said God led me to the truth, I'd say, okay. You know, they won't even ask how. They'll just believe you. To just change that word and things go a little easier. Uh, The Spirit is working powerfully in my life. Make some folks nervous. But if I said, God's been blessing me. Okay. That's fine. Somebody might say, the Spirit revealed the truth to me. That really makes some folks nervous. But if they say, thank the Lord, I finally understand that passage. Praise God for helping me finally come to an understanding of that. Okay. <laughs> you see, it's the, the semantics of it. It's the word. Yeah. Uh, a, a personal example there. I thought of this when I was writing examples down. Uh, I didn't preach full-time all my life. I worked in the business world most of the time. And when people find that out, that I worked in the business world until I was about 50, and then I started preaching full-time, uh, most people ask the question, well, Why? You know, what what caused you to quit the business world and start preaching? And if I said, 
the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me to become a preacher. That makes people nervous. Okay. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't directly operate in this world. He can't say that. But what I say instead is I say, well, he finally convinced me that's where I was supposed to be. I don't go into any more details. You know, I could add some details about providence and a number of things, but I just explain it that way. Well, he finally convinced me that's what I ought to be doing. Now, see the difference in those two? It sounds different, but it's not really any different. The Spirit spoke to me. No, I didn't hear anything audibly. But he convinced me. I didn't hear anything audible either. Yeah, but it happened. Okay, so the semantics, I think, is a big part of it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't bring up the Spirit. I think we ought to. But I'm saying we shouldn't get so excited about the Spirit doing things when saying God did it doesn't bother anybody. All right, third point about some tips, suggestions here about how to understand the Spirit. Uh, Let me just summarize this one this way. We don't know how the Spirit operates. In fact, Jesus' illustration, you remember what he said? He said the Spirit's like the wind. You can see the effects of it, but you can't see it. That's the way he described the Spirit. So my point is, we don't know how the Spirit operates, and here's the good news, we don't have to. In fact, I would go a little further than that. I'd say, we don't know how the Father does things. We don't know how the Son does things. We don't know how how the Spirit does things. We don't know how Michael does things. We don't know how Gabriel does things. We don't know how the lowest, most insignificant junior angel, we don't know how he does things. But the Bible says they do things. The Bible says angels are ministering servants to those who believe. I don't know how that works. The Bible says Michael fought Satan and defends Moses and all sorts of I don't know how that happened. The Bible says the Spirit does things, and I don't know how. Good news for me, I don't have to know how. Now, we usually kind of try to explain it by saying, Well, he works through providence. And that's a good word. That means God's working. He's providing somehow in his providence. This happened. We can't prove it. We can't point to a scientific proof that, yeah, that was God. But we can say, well, things happened that, you know, God worked it out. And sometimes he uses nature. Sometimes he uses events. Sometimes he uses sickness or tragedy. He uses different people in our lives. He, he, I think he brings thoughts into our head. 
don't think he tells us anything new or different, but he calls to our remembrance things. And some people say, well, how does he do that? I don't know. I don't know, but he invented the brain. He can do it any way he wants. The Bible says the Spirit does those kind of things. So we don't have to understand how. Now, that's making some of you nervous probably. So let me give you some reassurance here with my next to last point. Whatever the Holy Spirit does, whether I can understand it or not, whether I call him by the right name or not, whatever, whatever he does, I'll make you this guarantee. He will never violate the will of God. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about him doing some miracle that God doesn't approve of. None of you are smiling. That's a little humor there, actually. He won't violate the will of God. He is God. And some people get nervous. You get talking about the Spirit too much. You might attribute this to him. He'll never violate the will of God. He'll never violate your will. He'll never make you do things that you don't choose to do. If you want to cooperate with him, I don't want to get off on a Holy Spirit sermon here, but if you want to cooperate with him and uh, agree with him in your life and all that, he'll start strengthening you. He'll empower you. He'll produce fruit in your life. That's what the Bible says about him. But he'll never violate your will. He won't make you believe something or be good or serve God if you don't choose to. So we don't have to worry about the Spirit doing anything wrong. We've got some people that teach wrong things about the Spirit, but that doesn't mean the Spirit's not doing the right thing. He always does the right thing. He'll never reveal false teaching to you. He won't do that. That's one way you know some people are wrong. When they say the Spirit told me this and it disagrees with the Bible, you know they're lying. Either that or it's an evil spirit, not the Holy Spirit. It's a possibility. Anyhow, whatever he does, he won't violate the will of God. We don't have to worry about that. All right, because of all those things, and we're about out of time here, because all those things we talked about, what's my conclusion? What I think we ought to do? I don't think we can do a whole lot. I think what we should do is be more cognizant of the Spirit. I think we ought to think about Him more. I think we ought to talk about Him more. I think we ought to name Him a little more. And when I was talking about semantics, I already admitted, well, it's easier just to say God or the Lord. Because then nobody looks at you cockeyed. But I think it would be all right to say the Spirit's working in my life. The Spirit arranged this. The Spirit's been blessing things in my life. I think it would be all right to name him a little bit more in prayer, in our teaching, in our conversations with people. I think it would be all right to attribute more things to him. It's the way Stone's followers 
talked about him, and I, I agree. I think they were a little excessive and over the top and, and all of that and too emotional and all sorts of things, but I've got a little more Alexander Campbell in me than I do Barton Stone, so that's the way I see it. But something was happening. And Stone said, the Spirit is moving. The Spirit's working in this. The Spirit works through my sermon. That's the way he talked about it. I think it'd be all right if we did that sometimes. So that's my advice. We ought to be a little more cognizant of him, attribute more to him. Uh, Think about that in your devotional life and your study. And uh, let's give, let's do, let's not grieve the Spirit. All right, the lesson is yours. If you have anything tonight that you need from this family, while we're gathered together, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. You're welcome to come to the front. We'll help you with what's on your mind. Let's stand and sing.